Thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, let's begin as always with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for this time and we ask that you open up our minds and our hearts to be enlightened, especially by your revelation. Give us the ability to encounter you through every modality that you have pre-selected for us. That we may one day see you face to face. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Little recap, as always. At this point, you're probably able to give the recap yourself. <laughs> so remember, everything we're doing, the reason that we're here, the reason all this is happening is because of the purpose of human life. And the purpose of our human life is super simple. It is to know, love, and serve God. Because if we do that here, we're going to be with them forever. We're designed to become saints. That's the real us minus brokenness and evil. And we get there by living our faith. So we've said in the past eight months, I think this is our eighth month, we need to be completely reconciled to God and everybody else. We need to really pursue a deep, deep level of healing in our soul, something we don't think about very often, so that that woundedness that we all experience as humans doesn't actually affect our daily life. We got to be delivered from any kind of spiritual encumbrance. So there are certain prayers that we can pray to do that. We have to get into a mode where we are dialed into the ways that God has chosen for us to connect to him, and that's the sacraments. Daily prayer, weekly mass, monthly confession, at least. We also have to be able to connect him wherever we're at. Could be anywhere, doing anything. We want to be able to stop in that moment and say, God, thank you that I exist. Thank you that you exist. Let's connect. There's a certain skill set to be able to do that. Last time we talked about the person who did it best, our blessed mother. And we basically said, you know, if you want God to work through you, if you want his will to actually happen through you, just got to be humble, as Mary was humble. Her humble yes to God's plan canceled out Eve's no. And it set into motion the redemption of the whole universe. She's our spiritual mother, so we can bring absolutely anything to her. And the best way to do that, the most effective way to do that, is to consecrate ourselves to her. So if you haven't listened to that time, go back and listen to how to consecrate your whole life to Mary so that it could be better consecrated to Jesus. In this session, session eight, the sacred scriptures and spiritual reading, we want to talk about this incredible catalyst for knowing what Jesus is actually like, the Bible. So I don't know about you, but I grew up in an environment where the Bible was very heavily emphasized, but there wasn't a lot of direction in terms of <clears throat> how we actually intersect with that book. Because it can go a million different directions, right? And we'll talk about that a little bit. Before we know that, we have to look at the core, look at the base. And the core and the base is the nature of revelation. So you hear me say it all the time. God is being itself. He's being itself. He's the truth, capital T. He's that which is most real. Or in philosophy, we call him ultimate reality. And we can know him. 
we can actually really know him. We can know what he's like, how he acts, how he desires to interact with us in two big ways, reason and faith. So remember we talked about quite a few sessions ago now, our anthropology, how humans exist. We're physical and we're metaphysical and we have a rational capacity. That's what it means when we say we're made in the image and likeness of God. So we can, with that rational capacity, that ability to know what we know, we can observe the world and we can derive from that observation from its nature that A, a God exists, some sort of universal supreme being that put all of this here and that he's good based on the intrinsic nature of things, not the aberrant choices of people, but the intrinsic nature of things. So we're here, he's here, we should choose good and avoid evil. All of that stuff we can know just from being a conscious human being in the world. And plenty of people figured it out before Christianity. But there are some things that we can't know just from reason. Those types of things God has to reveal to us in some sort of way. And this is where faith kicks in. So knowing something by faith means that basically you believe what God has revealed to us is true. You believe in revelation. There's tons of things that he has to reveal to us, or otherwise we wouldn't even know they exist. The most basic example is the Trinity. You know, I think most Christians, well, actually, if you're truly a Christian, you would have to say this. If you went up to them on the street and said, hey, what's God? Eventually you would get to his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, awesome, great. That's 100% true. That's something we would have absolutely no idea about unless he told us. You can look at the universe and all of this cool stuff in it and think, yeah, there's a omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent being that put all this here and is sustaining it here. You can figure that out through the light of reason. There's no way from observation of the physical universe itself and even the behavior of beings who are partially metaphysical that he's three co-equal divine persons. That he's got to reveal to us, okay? And he does reveal it to us. He reveals all kinds of things to us. And so this revelation, these things that we wouldn't be able to figure out unless he told us, it takes two forms. Tradition, capital T, and scripture. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, which is sort of like a strange movie for me to like. I like the movie version of it, but I really like it, you know? There's a great song, Tradition, and the tradition he's talking about there is tradition lowercase t. Like this is just the stuff we've done for a while, so we keep doing it, right? It gives us some sort of sense of security. This is tradition capital T. So this is everything that God has, has explicitly revealed to the church but it wasn't written down in scripture. It was known, it was practiced, we did it, we knew it came straight from God. It was just kind of taken for granted almost. The church knew it to be revealed by God and knew it to be true and just started living it basically. So 
few examples, the assumption of Mary. That's not explicit in the scriptures, but we knew that as a church, that we, she was assumed body and soul into heaven. The Apostles' Creed that summarizes our faith. That was hammered out over a long period of time. There's no part of the Bible where it says all of those things explicitly in that order. And then a huge one is the sacramental economy. Just the fact that we know about the sacraments and we know what they do for us. That's all straight revelation from God. Things we just started to do, jotted down some notes, how to do it, and we've been living it for 2,000 years. So tradition, capital T, and then scripture. Scripture is everything that God has explicitly revealed to the church that was written down. So one is not written down, one is written down, and it takes a lot of different forms. So we have to ask ourselves, because tons of people have different answers to this question, what is scripture? Beyond it being God's revelation to us that was written down, what is it? It's the word. So you hear some people, especially in non-Catholic Christian churches, just refer to the Bible as the word. What are they talking about? They're talking about the beginning of John's gospel. In the prologue to his gospel, John kind of lays down the creation of the universe. And he gives us something that God has revealed to him, to the church, that we would not have known otherwise. It's that God the Father spoke the universe into being through the Son. The Logos, capital L, the Word. So the scriptures, the Bible, it's basically Jesus through whom the entire universe and all reality has been created, written down. It's Jesus written down. And just as Jesus is incredibly complex, infinitely complex, the scriptures are infinitely complex on a certain level. And that infinite complexity kind of distills down to us by it manifesting in a bunch of different types of literature. So this is an important point for us as Catholics to know and to understand because it bears a great deal on interpretation. Why? Why do you have to know what kind of literature you're reading? Well, if you interpret allegory literally or a gospel allegorically, we're gonna end up wrong about something, perhaps really wrong. So there's a bunch of different types of literature in the Bible, and I wish we had time to go over all of it, but it's a whole college-level class to go over all of it. You have historical narrative, and you have books that are law, you have beautiful poetry, and wisdom texts, and prophecy, and then there's the apocalypse, and apocalyptic literature, gospels, epistles, letters between people, and churches. It's beautiful. It's rich. It's dense. So we have to be aware that that's the case because we interpret through the lens of what type of literature it is and how the church has always interpreted that particular book through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When did it happen? When did it actually get hammered out? First time it was really hammered out what the scriptures actually were, the books that were included was in the year 382 at the Council of Rome. And that's when the church said, this is it. By revelation of the Holy Spirit, there's these 72 books here. Interesting factoid, may not know this, 
Protestant Bibles, non-Catholic Christian Bibles have 66 books. Now, when I was growing up, there was a lot of you pagan, godless Catholics adding books to your Bible. Is there anything worse than adding something to the Bible? And that was, that was the story that was told. What actually happened was during the Reformation, Martin Luther removed those six books from the Bible. They just were gone, poof. And there were a bunch of other books that he was actually contemplating removing as well, even a few from the New Testament. He did not like the book of Revelation and he did not like the book of James. They didn't agree with his personal theology. So he was thinking of taking them out. He ended up deciding against it, but they were on the chopping block. He ended up taking out books that were only in the Old Testament. So the reason that we have those 72 books is because Catholics use the version of the quote-unquote Old Testament, the books from the Hebrew faith, We use the canon that was used while Jesus was alive and walking around on the earth. So in the scriptures, when it says like Jesus went up to read the scriptures, that would have been the canon of scriptures that he was reading from. So we just took that canon. Shortly after he was crucified, died, resurrected, some of the Jewish authorities removed those six books because they specifically had to do with the topic of resurrection. And they didn't want this new wacky religion called Christianity to gain steam or to be able to turn to their scriptures pointing to the resurrection of the dead. So they just took them out. And Martin Luther took that canon. He followed them. The canon that involves the uh, removal of resurrection for the most part. So they were codified. They were selected. Many different types of narratives, many different types of literature. How do you interpret it? They all have to be interpreted, all the books have to be interpreted in accordance with the category that they fit into and through the lens of the magisterium, that's the teaching body of the church. That's where the Holy Spirit guarantees us that we're not gonna get too wacky and go off the rails. So if we don't use that lens, we can easily be deceived and we can make the scriptures mean whatever we want. For example, There are churches that handle snakes, poisonous snakes, because of the scripture, you know, if you you can pick up snakes and they won't bite you, if you drink any deadly thing, it's not going to kill you and whatnot. So they're interpreting literally something that is not meant to be interpreted literally in every case. And so that's just part of their worship. They handle these poisonous snakes and a bunch of them die all the time. So you can make that book mean whatever you want it to mean. Or, you know, um, when I was growing up and we had a lot of non-Catholic theology, there's something in non-Catholic theology called sola scriptura, the doctrine of sola scriptura. It means by the scriptures alone. So, It's directly contra this notion of there's capital T tradition. You would say like there's just scripture. That's the only revelation that God has given to us. 
And it's not those other books that the Catholics have. It's just these 66 books that Martin Luther gave the thumbs up to. And that's revelation. And that's all there is. The problem with believing something like that, if that's true, it's that it doesn't actually say that in the Bible. There's no point in the Bible where the Bible points to itself and says, it's just this, this is just the revelation. We knew from the very beginning that it was scripture and tradition. There's things that were written down. There were things that were immediately integrated and lived and just almost kind of fully, fully uh, taken for some sort of granted, not in a negative way, but in a sense that people did it so much that it was just Christianity in their mind. It's ju that's just what it was. And we've been doing it ever since then. So this kind of wonky interpretation leads to the possibility of being deceived in your interpretation. And so for me anyway, and for a lot of people, it led to rejecting God at one point, totally, because he didn't fit the literal image of him that was in parts of the Bible. For instance, the wrathful God. Right? It's God coming in, mowing everybody down, and saying, you're welcome, as he flicks his cigar across the room. That doesn't really jive with a God who is love itself, right? So we have to recognize as we're interpreting a particular type of literature that something is being communicated there in a particular way. And so when it mentions in the Old Testament, like God's wrath, what it's really mentioning is not God changing because God can't change. He can't get angry. He can't get anything. He's already the fullness of all that is good. It's a commentary on the effect of human action. We have moved ourselves out of alignment with God and therefore we automatically incur wrath. We automatically incur death and evil. It's just something that happens. It's part of the objective nature of reality. It's important to know those things or we're gonna get way off track. We don't wanna be off track. So if we're on track and we're interpreting in a solid way, the question is, what do the scriptures do for us? They do a ton of things for our spiritual life, but I would draw attention to two big things. I think they guide us and they sanctify us. They guide us and they sanctify us. I might've told this story before. I'm one of those people that loves retelling my stories. So if you're listening to this and I already said it, just fast forward 30 seconds. But when I was probably 12, I felt a very deep call to the quote unquote ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea. All I knew was that I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be a dirtbag lawyer. It's all I ever wanted to do. Okay? Maybe a light stint in thinking about being a physician, but mainly law, love the law, specifically criminal law. And, uh, I was thinking, racking my brain one night, trying to hash this out with God, thinking about every excuse I could possibly give of why I could not acquiesce to this divine request for my entire life. And I couldn't think of anything. I mean, I was really burning the acetylcholine. 
And finally, it just hit me like a flash. I was like, ha, bingo. I said very clearly, God, I'm too young. And I turned off the light and I got into bed and I pulled the covers up on me. And the scripture verse, Jeremiah 1-7, popped into my head. The prophet Jeremiah. And it popped in in such a weird and poignant way that I thought, ah, that is weird. And I started just kind of tossing and turning and thinking about it because I didn't actually know what Jeremiah 1-7 says. I didn't know what it said, as I didn't know the scriptures that well. So finally, just out of extreme curiosity, I had to get up. I got up, got a Bible. Turned to the book of Jeremiah, the first chapter, got to the seventh verse. The seventh verse of the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say everything I command you. That was life changing. That was life altering for me. It guided me eventually to the priesthood. God wants to do that in our lives. Every single one of us, he wants to do that in our lives. We just have to be listening. And secondly, it sanctifies us. It is the truth. It's Jesus written down. We're made for the truth. We're made for him. To know it, to love it, to let it wash over us, it makes us more like who we truly are. That's what sanctification is. That's what holiness is. It's becoming more like what God is like. That's our true self. Probably already told this story too. Gonna tell it again anyway. So one time I was doing a meditation. And in this meditation, I was thinking about the wedding feast at Cana. And in thinking about the wedding feast at Cana, slowly, purposefully, letting it wash over me. Suddenly I was there. It was like I was there. And I was observing everything that was happening, all the characters that were happening. I was just kind of like with the apostles. I wasn't one of them, but I was there around a fire with Jesus at night at this big wedding. Things are kind of like dying down, but they're not. Like the party is still pumping, but people have kind of separated into their own little groups. And so here we are in this little group with our Lord. And Mary comes up to him and she says, they're out of wine. And Jesus says to her, just like in the scriptures, my time has not yet come. What, what, what is the significance of this between you and I? And in that moment, something happens that makes that scripture make sense. If you've ever read that scripture, Mary comes up, says they're out of wine. Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? Then she says, do whatever he tells you, and then he does it. It's, it doesn't quite follow. The logic doesn't quite follow. It's like there's something missing. Being there, being around that fire, she says, they're out of wine. She says, my hour has not yet come. And in that moment, the father enlightens him to know that his hour has come, that that is the very moment of it right there. And Mary can see that on his face. 
and she smiles knowingly and says, do whatever he tells you. She knows what's going to happen. That kind of experience of the scriptures, it's sanctified. It makes you want to be that close to Jesus and that experience God wants for each and every one of us. So if that's true, if that's what they can do for us, how exactly do we access that in a way that is fruitful? There's a lot of different ways. I'm going to recommend the gold standard. It's something called Lexio Divina. So this is a methodology developed by ancient monks. Lexio Divina means divine reading. And it's a way not just to read the scriptures, it's a way to pray them. And it has four steps with a fun fifth one that you can throw in there. The first step is you got your Bible and you're prayerfully kind of comb through it. You want to have a, a familiarity with the scriptures. You're coming through it. Maybe there's a passage that jumps out to you. You pick that passage. Not a huge one. Don't do 57 verses. Just maybe two or three. Pick a small chunk to go deep with and read it very, very slowly, very prayerfully, chewing on every word, savoring every word. Stop on a word or a phrase that stands out to you if it does. Many times that's the Holy Spirit leading to, leading you to that actual thing. That's lexio. That's the style of reading. The second step is meditatio, meditation. Read that passage again really slowly. And maybe like me, imagine yourself in the scene, if there is one. This kind of meditation, this meditatio, is a reflection. You're reflecting on what you're reading. You're ruminating on it. And you're really trying to flesh out what our Lord is saying to you through it. If a particular word or phrase or reality or idea stood out, reflect on it. Why is it standing out to you? What does God want you to take into yourself from that? What does he want you to reject maybe that's going on in your life? What's the sin to avoid? What's the virtue to practice? What do you think the people look like in that scene? What are they saying? Why are they saying it? Who are you in the story? Get into it. Meditate. That leads to the third step, oratio, prayer. Respond to God. He's shown you something. He's given you the very truth written down and you've meditated on it. Something has stood out to you. An insight or an image or a correction, talk to him about it. If there was a resolution that came up in your heart from reading, from meditating, write it down. That's what God wants for you. And fourthly, contemplatio, contemplation. Then just rest. In the reality that you have interiorized the truth, capital T, you've communicated with the God of the universe who is truth itself, and now you're just resting in his presence. That is a great way to read the scriptures. That's a great way to pray the scriptures. It's gold standard. And if you want to add a fun fifth one, oxio, act. You've encountered the truth. You've meditated on it. Something has stood out. You've rested in God's presence. You've written down your insight. What are you going to do about it? How is that actually going to affect your life? How are you going to act? The scriptures 
are the nuclear core of the truth that we have written down. We should encounter them this way. If we take a step down from that though, something that's still useful to us is any kind of writing that's in alignment with the truth, capital T, and that's the writings of the saints. Remember the saints are just people who lived as their true self. They got rid of all their brokenness, Jesus healed it. They got rid of anything messed up, all the evil, all the darkness. They just live freely as themselves by the grace of God. That's what we want. So they wrote about it. They wrote about living like their true self. And maybe they have some insights to throw our way when we encounter their writings. So spiritual reading is highly efficacious in terms of helping us get from point A, basically where we're at right now, to point B, sainthood ultimately heaven. Some concrete suggestions. I've given you some before, but this is a bit of an expanded list. One, introduction to the devout life. St. Francis de Sales, love it. Basically an instruction manual. He's, he's telling you how to become a saint. It's awesome. There's another book I love called Interior, The Interior Castle. And another one, The, the Way of Perfection. Both of them are by St. Teresa of Avila, beautiful. Story of a soul, got my copy right here. St. Therese of Lisieux. This is amazing. It's her just telling her story, basically how she grew up her whole life, how the Holy Spirit interacted with her at every step of the way and how she became St. Therese of Lisieux. Mm, that's the goal. The Dialogues by St. Catherine of Siena. Oh. She is so amazing. Her writings are so mystical, so amazing. Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis, very topical, awesome. If you're looking for specific topics to just boom, pull something out. True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin. We've talked about St. Louis de Montfort going super deep with Our Lady and the Ascent of Mount Carmel by St. John of the Cross, asceticism, leaving the silly things of the world beside and going toward the eternal things of heaven. That's just a short list. We have an incredible bounty of these types of spiritual writings. If you don't have any of those books, if you don't have a spiritual book around, a Catholic classic, get one. At least have it in your house. At least kind of thumb through it occasionally. Sit before you go to bed, read a few pages, and let that be the thing that you drift off asleep with. So God is the truth. He reveals himself to us. We can encounter him through the written word, whether it's literally in scripture or via insight in the writings of holy people. We should engage a method to learn how to do that though. Recommended one is Lexio Divina, but always default back to the magisterium for interpretation so we don't get off track. Either having contact with him directly through the scriptures or reading about what it's like to really live authentically, that's it. That gets us closer to the goal of being who we really are, being the saint version of ourselves. Any questions? How do you know if something is a sign from God? That's a big question. <laughs> The example I gave, I think, is a pretty good example of what we call an actual grace. 
it's clear to see that the Holy Spirit is doing something. For instance, me thinking, me just saying I'm too young. The mathematical probability of me just thinking of book, chapter, and verse of the exact answer to that is, I, I, I can't even calculate it, right? Especially because it's not something I even knew was in there. Wasn't familiar with it, the scriptures enough to know. So when something happens like that, it's clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. What we wanna temper that with is the reality that there can be quote unquote signs and wonders that are spiritual, but that are not from God, right? The enemy can do signs and wonders. The primary internal rubric for distinguishing the two is when God is doing it, he's always leading you to know, to what you know is already true, to what the scriptures say, what the church has taught, what has been revealed to you in your conscience in the deep center of your soul. He's always in alignment with that. And it's always going to be accompanied by peace and not the, you know, what I call chicken wing peace. That's the, like the chicken wing happiness. It's like the temporary happiness you get from engaging in something with something that you like, could be anything. Deep peace, the kind of peace that only Jesus gives. You can only get from God. Learning to discern that peace is a core part of the Christian life. So how do we know if something is a sign from God? Test that spirit. If it's from God, it will be in alignment with everything he has revealed up till now, and you'll have peace with it. If it is out of whack with any of that, and there's just this sort of weird kind of happiness, almost kind of like giddy happiness, that could be a spirit of a different kind. Talk to your priest, too. It's good to hash it out with someone. How many minutes do you recommend for Lexio Divina? I find myself getting distracted. Maybe it's the coffee. Could be. <laughs> well, it depends on the particular time of day and scripture verse, I think. This varies from person to person. Some people do Lexio better in the morning. Some people do it better at night. And so you kind of have to figure out, are you, which of those are you able to um, go deeper with? I would recommend, because it's a small portion, probably like 10 to 15 minutes, somewhere in there. I think that would be a healthy chunk of Lexio Divina. It's a bit like sailing, though. You know, if you're going along and you're reading, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And you read that and fear pops out, just flies off the page. And you start meditatio. You start breaking that down like, God, where in my life has fear taken a hold of me? And that leads to an entire other wing of prayer where the Holy Spirit is revealing to you where fear is in your thinking and your choosing and your feeling and how he can heal you. Let the wind hit that sail and just go. That's what we're going toward. But I think about 10, 15 minutes Somewhere in there is certainly an adequate amount of time to derive some kind of um, revelation, personal revelation, but don't limit it if you can. 
If I were to begin Lexia Divina, what book of scripture would you start with? I would highly, highly recommend, I think, the, the best books to start Lexia with are the Gospels. Because the Gospels, you can do that, that visual exercise of inserting yourself into the scene. I inserted myself into the wedding feast of Cana. And honestly, even talking about it now, it just makes me happy. Like it was very clear that that was something that God did in me. That grace is still like burbling there, like this little fountain that never goes away. I mean, that was probably like 12 or 13 years ago. And when I think about it, it's still just boom, fresh as milk on the doorstep. So I think using a gospel and getting especially one of the stories in the gospel, like maybe you're there when, you know, the lepers are healed, the blind men are cured, the dead are raised. Where are you? What's your position? What does the scene look like? What do your clothes look like? What are people saying around you? What is Jesus saying? That's a great place to start. What's my favorite translation? My favorite translation is the one that's most accurate. You know, because when we're talking about the scriptures, we want to attain to the highest degree of accuracy possible. What was actually written in Hebrew, what was actually written in Greek. The most accurate translation from Hebrew and Greek to English is called the Revised Standard Edition or the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, the RSVCE. So the RSV is the translation that most biblical scholars would acknowledge to be the most accurate. And then CE gets you the, the seven books that were in the Bible when Jesus was alive before they were taken out by various groups for various reasons. So if you don't have a copy of that, pick it up. It's on Amazon. If you want something that's super duper cool, pick up the study version, the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible study version of the New Testament. It's huge. It's big. It's beautiful. What it does is it goes through this very accurate translation. And if there's something that's very spiritually fruitful or super cool, it'll just kind of define it in the Hebrew or in the Greek below. So you can see the word, what it actually is, the literal translation, the context. Very, very helpful. Very, very helpful, especially when trying to interpret and meditate on scriptures that are tricky, like John chapter six, the bread of life discourse. Although scripture doesn't change, does capital T tradition continue to change? Excellent question. So scripture and tradition, capital T, are both um, unchangeable. They're both solid realities because they're the content of revelation or what we call the fide depositum, the deposit of faith. God is depositing the core of our faith in these two forms in scripture and tradition. So capital T doesn't change, but lowercase t can change. My all-time favorite Bible passage. I'll get it for you. I had it written on my ordination card. So every man that's ordained a priest has the opportunity to make a holy card. 
And on the back of that holy card, you can put whatever you want, provided it's not heretical. And so I picked Colossians 1, 16 to 17. And Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says this. In him, everything in heaven and on earth was created. Things visible and invisible. All were created through him. All were created for him. He is before all else that is. In him, everything continues in being. To me, that says he's God. Jesus is God. He's divine. It's that notion that we talked about that everything is created through Jesus. The Father speaks reality itself. He speaks this physical reality and everything that he's created into reality through the Logos, through the Son. That's why I'm a priest. All right, very good. Thank you everybody, as always, for joining me. I will see you next month for our ninth and final Living the Faith series talk. Now, Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.